Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Hello, Erickson Covenant Church. In, in person and online, if you're wondering, wow, Rob actually looks taller than he does online. Um, <laughs> you wouldn't be the first to say that. Really, I, you know, I do, the last three years, we've been doing lots of Zoom. I'll meet people and they say, wow, you're taller than, than you look on the screen. They're like, how do you know? Um, no one has ever said to me, though, my, you look younger uh, than, <laughs> than uh, a shout out. This, this is, my wife is watching us today. She's online. So, hey, hi, Sony. Hi, I'm going to do that. So, uh, but it is such a joy for me to be here. I have been with you via the screen a couple of times over COVID, but it is always a delight to be in person with you. So, um, a little bit about me. My name is Rob Peterson. I grew up in Surrey, British Columbia, or as I say, I survived Wally. Um, that's home. My parents live out there. They live in Abbotsford with my sister and her family. I have a son who is uh, in grad school at Trinity Western doing a counseling degree. He lives in Burnaby. So I grew up on the West Coast. I'm a Canadian kid. Uh, but I left. I met my wife. Uh, we, we got married. She's from Seattle and made our way into ministry over many years. So I've, I've served a few different covenant churches, Saskatoon, College Park Covenant Church, uh, Hope Community Covenant Church in Strathmore, and most recently, Thornapple Covenant Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan, is where I now live. I'm no longer a pastor of a local parish, but I am now the Associate Superintendent of the Canada Covenant, and I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan. That's quite an experiment. Um, I think it's going okay. And then I, I'm also a professor of spiritual formation at North Park Theological Seminary, in Chicago, and I, I, commute, I commute there. I live about three hours from Chicago. So those two things put bread on the table. So that's a bit about me. I have three kids, three grown adults. Uh, Kristen is married. Uh, they have two children, so I'm a grandpa, and my wife's a grandma. It's one of the best things ever. Um, and then I have two, two boys, Eric. He's married, lives about an hour away from where I live. And then my youngest son, like I said, is in Burnaby, attending grad school, so it is good to be here. I'd like to read the scripture. If you have your Bibles, um, whether on your phone or a device or the book, let's uh, hear these words from Luke 5. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd... They went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, 
right in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been, given, uh, been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. I invite you now just into a moment of silence. We've heard God's word. What strikes you about this story? Let's just be quiet for a moment. Holy Spirit, open our eyes and our hearts that we might see again the amazing words and the amazing power of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Every Sunday, late afternoon, my wife and I sit down on a couch in our home and we FaceTime my parents. They live in Abbotsford. We live across the country, three hours time difference. So we we figured out it works. But it's so much better when we're in person. FaceTime is a great gift. But to be present face-to-face, as we were early May uh, in their home, it's just, it's, it's like as human beings, we are made to be in proximity to one another, especially those that we love the dearest. And I think all of us realize how important it is to be close, especially if one of us, a family member, is going through a really difficult, challenging thing. Did anybody's heart break during COVID when your family member was going through something so hard that you could not be present? That was heartbreaking for me. And on a number of levels, it's as if we are wired to be close. And when we are separate, something's just quite not right. A remarkable thing happened to me around this theme of being close. I was 20 years old. My, I was dating seriously now my wife, uh, but we were 20 in our, and we were driving from Seattle to Minnesota to visit her sister. And outside of Butte, Montana, we had a serious car accident. My fault, to be honest. So my wife-to-be is in ICU for 14 days in a coma. I'm barely 20. It's like growing up really fast. I'm by myself in a hotel room. 
Her parents are in another hotel. I'm by myself. I'm calling my parents. I, in a sense, are kind of falling apart. I, I, I had no idea what to do. What, what do you do? Late one night, I get a knock on my door. I open it up, and it's my best friend. He took a bus from Vancouver through the night to show up. Somehow he got to Butte, Montana. He did not tell me about this. He just knocked. He figured out. He found out where I was staying. I, want to say, that, I will never forget that moment of somebody coming to be close to me. And he stayed for about a week and helped me kind of navigate that com- complex time of my life. So being close is such an important thing. The gospel story today is, I believe, a remarkable story. It is an amazing story, but it's a story of, of some friends who believe that if they could get their friend, a paralyzed man, somehow in proximity to Jesus, that that would be a good thing for the man who is paralyzed. So they find a way to get close, face-to-face with Jesus. So you're going to hear the word remarkable a few times this morning. I'm going to use it kind of to structure my time and our time together. But the first thing I want you to note with me is this is a remarkable story, just in general. One day, Jesus is teaching, and and he's gathering a crowd. Now, it doesn't say in the text, but we know from other gospel stories that he actually has an agenda. Jesus is traveling this Galilean region, and he has an agenda to teach the people about the inbreaking kingdom of God through his presence and his power. He's doing something. He's trying to gather a following. And so he's teaching, and the word gets out about Jesus because he's an amazing teacher, and the home that he's teaching in is packed. The religious leaders are there, they, and they've gathered from all over the area. They're there. They're sitting there. The text says, and they're sitting there. That's not a good thing. They're, they're not there just to cheer on Jesus. They're there to trap Jesus somehow. So they're there, and in the middle of this scene of teaching and the great crowds, the, the, the ceiling begins to break, and down is lowered a paralyzed man on a mat right in the center of what's going on in this home. And then Jesus says some words. He chooses two words. You're forgiven and you're healed. And the religious leaders who are not on the team of Jesus... They are in an uproar to say, no, 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 you cannot. Only God can make someone right with God. Uh, Only God can make somebody right. You can't do this, Jesus. He doesn't really care about their opinion. Turns around and he heals this man. And the story says, everybody was in awe as this guy was praising God they had seen remarkable things. So on one level, first thing, it's a remarkable story. The second is, it's a story of remarkable authority. Jesus is doing something in this story. So the question is, when we, anytime we read the scriptures, like, like why? Why this story? Why does Luke have this story? Of all the stories that Luke could have put in the gospel of Luke, why this one? Why do you think? 
It, I think it has something to do with showing the authority of Jesus. Not only to speak words of forgiveness, but also to act in the power of the Spirit and to heal. But what if we start with this question? Why is it important for us, the reader, to know that Jesus has authority? Why would that be important? In comparison to the religious leaders, all the others, why, why does Luke want to highlight that Jesus' authority is higher? And with that question, I, I want to maybe ask another one. How do we know how to live our life? Of all the available options to us in terms of how we live our life, what is it that we are drawn to in order to live our life the way that we live our life? My sense is that there has been some person of authority in our life because we don't just live our life, we are taught how to live our life. Children, they have now, they're not with us anymore, but for, for children, parents are that person or people of authority. So we either have a parent or parents who show us, hopefully they use their authority well, and they instill in us this internal wisdom, this gyroscope that helps us navigate a complex world. And so that when, when parents are, or the parents send the children out, and then they come back, but then let's say we send, <laughs> then, then they, they go out again, they come back. And then finally, when you get them out the door, off the payroll, I still have one on the payroll. But anyway, yeah, they're not on the payroll anymore. They're living their life. Our hope and our dream and our desire as parents is that they have been taught through your, my authority, your authority, how to live a life of deep faith and generosity in a complex world. And our fear as parents or those who have care responsibility for young ones or young adults is that when they encounter new voices of authority, and they do, Right? that they will know how to navigate and either draw those voices of authority close and listen to them and incorporate them into how they're going to live their life now from out from underneath the parent's house. Or they will say, no, that's a voice of authority I'm not going to listen to. We don't know how to live our life, but we need somebody to show us how to do that. And that's the, that's, that's the role of authority. It's no different in the ancient world. Jesus is in a world where there are voices of authority that are shaping the way that people live their life. You have sacred text authority. You have the priests. You have the rabbis. You have parents. You have Rome as another authority. All of these are pressure groups applying their ideology, their way of living onto people's lives. And Jesus shows up and says, now I want to show you a different way of living life that comes from the very heart of God. And I am here to express this wisdom with authority so that you will listen. So he's going around using his authority, not only voice. I mean, so many times in the Gospels, they say, we have never heard anybody teach like this before. He's gaining authority and respect as he speaks. And then add to that, he also is demonstrating the power of the inbreaking of the love and the grace of God through miracles and healings. So Jesus uses his authority. And so in the story, you have this 
this conflict and tension you have. The religious leaders watching, they had their vision of the kingdom of God, and their vision was this. If the people of Israel would just cling tighter to the Torah or closer to the law of God, that would create the conditions in which God would then act to deal with Rome. And they had even, some of them had gone so far as to say, we would hope that God, God might even use violence to get rid of these Romans. That's their pressure, their way of living. Stay close to the law of God. God will then act and we will be free. And Jesus comes along and says, here's another vision of the kingdom of God. Follow me. Learn from me. Take my yoke upon me. Follow me. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Lay down your life for each other. His vision of the, of the kingdom was so different, but he's in competition with the other pressure groups. So in Luke's story, we get a remarkable um, expression of the authority of Jesus expressed. He didn't grab his authority by power. He was earning it moment by word by act and the rooms were packed because of the authority of Jesus. The man who was lowered in front of him, it wasn't a really big deal that this guy had a sin, had sins. I mean, Jesus saw his heart. The big deal was that Jesus could show his authority and he knew what was in a man's heart and he forgave him. And right away we get the tension. Now the, those, the religious, religious leaders said, no, you don't have that authority, Jesus. You can't do that. And so Lucas put the story in there for our benefit to realize who actually does have authority to forgive like this. And we're, the answer, of course, is Jesus does. And he, he, acts, he acts this way. So it's a remarkable authority that he expresses and, and Jesus' authority, in this case, expresses the gospel, the good news, in two ways. Forgiving of sin, setting, people, setting a person right with God, and the other thing is healing. There is the wisdom and the forgiveness power of Jesus, and then there's the power of Jesus expressed in healing. The gospel is this combination of the good news for someone who can make us right with God and the good news that somebody can deal with our human predicaments. Whatever they might look like. It's no wonder that they're trying to get close to Jesus because he has a remarkable authority. Thirdly, this story is a moment of remarkable compassion. Don't you wonder about the paralyzed man? Could we use our imagination for a moment this morning? Was he born this way? Was it an accident or disease? Was he alone at this moment when his friends came to pick him up? Or was he part of a family? And what did the family think? Was he desperate or was he resigned just to be this way? Did he, knew, did he know that Jesus was in the area and he really had a desire to go see Jesus? Or was he resistant to go see Jesus. Was it a spontaneous moment or was it 
a scheduled moment. The friends say, hey, we'll see you at one o'clock tomorrow. We're going to go see Jesus. We don't know. But what's going on in this man's life? Out of the blue, and nobody expected this, his friends have picked him up, take him to Jesus. They can't get in because it's so crowded. They bust through the ceiling. They lower him into the presence of Jesus. And in a few moments, Jesus is discerning in the moment, on the spot, and he's speaking and healing. One moment, this man is paralyzed. The next moment, he is breaking out of the crowd into the street. Can you imagine how those friends are scrambling down the roof to get to their friend in the street who is praising God? Just imagine that. It is a remarkable story of compassion of one person who Jesus decides to forgive and to heal. And I think it's here in this compassionate part of the story that we begin, at least I think, we can begin to make the connection. How does this relate to our life and how does this help us learn how to live a remarkable faith ourselves? And it's this. I'm certain that this experience of the paralyzed man was never, ever forgotten by him. He would never forget that day. And he, for the rest of his life, that would be like a spiritual altar, a rock upon which he would base his life. We don't hear anything more about him, but I can imagine if you are paralyzed and someone heals you, you're going to have a whole range of emotions, of gratitude, praise, but you are also never going to forget that. Having a remarkable faith is in part remembering when Jesus came to us, And said to us, I see you, I know you, I forgive you, and I am healing you. And Jesus doesn't do this just once in our life. Having a remarkable faith and learning how to have that faith is remembering that Jesus does this frequently to us, for us, for our benefit. It's just the way that Jesus is. Jesus is the one who forgave forgave us and is forgiving us. Jesus is the one who has healed us and is healing us. So faith that is remarkable and vibrant is a faith that remembers that Jesus is for us, with us. Maybe this morning, the invitation of the text in terms of our own faith is to remember again and to give thanks as this man did in the street for what Jesus had done for him. It's just like Jesus to do this. And it's just like Jesus to do this again today. To have a remarkable faith is just to remember Jesus does this for us. And then lastly, I think this is a story of remarkable friendship. I, I, I just marvel at these friends. Mark 2 tells us that they're four. It's just like amazing. They're convinced that if they can get their friend to Jesus, that Jesus will kind of do something. Why would, why would you bust through the roof if you didn't think Jesus could do something? And so they lower him 
They don't really know what's going to happen. But that what happens is beyond their wildest dreams. <laughs> and I, 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 I would so love to have been there. I can guarantee you there was laughter. There was laughter with tears and there were tears with laughter. There was hooting and hollering. There was a lot of dancing and there may have been a party for quite a while. <laughs> Jesus, but if, if the friends hadn't taken their friend to Jesus, there would be no story. I think everybody, all of us, We need friends at some point in our journey, maybe often, who will carry us to Jesus. We need somebody who will grab the corner of the mat of our life and say, I don't care what you think right now, I'm taking you to Jesus, metaphorically. I'm going to carry you. There is this belief that we can get through the Christian life on our own, and that is a fallacy. We all need somebody in our corner to carry us at times when we can't carry ourselves. When our faith seems fragile, we need those around us whose faith is a little less fragile to say, hey, I hear you, I see you, I will walk with you, and we're going to take you, we're going to carry you to Jesus. Can you think of those people in your life who have carried you? And I think the text invites us to celebrate that and to give thanks to God for those in our life who have come alongside us. I think everybody needs friends who will carry us at some point. When faith is at a low tide, we need the faith of friends to carry us. When the future seems closed off and hope seems draining out of our life, we need somebody, even just one person, to grab our hand and say, hey, let's get closer to Jesus. For many years, I struggled with inner discouragement. It was like my constant companion. I didn't think I was very capable. On the outward, I, I, I had a good show going on. I could perform. But inwardly, so much self-contempt, so little trust in my ability. And it was not doing a good thing for me, (laughs) these voices inside, until a friend. A friend, his name is Jeff, and he came beside me. And for two years, he carried me to Jesus, just listening. He just listened to me. And in the listening, he came beside me. And coming beside me, he carried me to Jesus. And it was ultimately this person of Christ who said to me in these inner voices of inadequacy, I hear you, Rob. I heal you, Rob. I needed that person. Maybe you're here this morning and addiction has been part of your story. You've been trapped in that inner pain and that pattern of defeat. You know what it's like to feel shame in your bones. Self-contempt is your companion. Who has carried you? And if this morning you can stand up and say, today I'm free from the bondage of that addiction, you can join in the celebration of this of this paralyzed man to say there's somebody who can heal and his name is Jesus. 
But you can also thank God that your sponsor was there for you. That you needed a sponsor, someone to carry your life, to move you toward healing and hope. For anybody who's been shattered by divorce, who carried you to Jesus? Or who is carrying you for Jesus? For anybody who has struggled with mental illness and you feel so alone, who has been carrying you? This is the nature of the body of Christ, is that we are made to be in close proximity to one another and to carry one another. This is the beauty of small groups, that we break down the big body of Christ and we break it into little groups so we learn our stories, we learn how to carry one another. Learning to live a remarkable faith is not only remembering how Jesus has forgiven us and healed us, it's also remembering that Jesus heals us and forgives us through others. And to recall that, and to push against this, this tsunami of, of individualism that says you're good on your own, you're good on your own. No, we are not. We need others to carry us. I think the last thing that invites me in this story is that not only do we need people to carry us, I think the story invites us to ask, who are we being invited to carry right now? Is there somebody you're being invited to carry? Somebody in your care, your family, your community, this neighborhood that needs to be carried to Jesus? The church, when we're at our best, is a winsome witness of those who love and take people toward Jesus. When we're at our best, when our faith is vibrant and remarkable, the world notices. May it be true of us that this gospel story of good news, of remarkable authority and compassion and community, may this be us. I invite you now to join me in prayer. I want to invite you now in silent prayer just to ask the Holy Spirit if there is someone that you are being invited to move toward to be Jesus with them, to take them to Christ in prayer, in community, in relationship. Let's listen. Jesus, thank you so much for the good news of forgiveness, the good news of the power of your life to touch real human need. We praise you for this gospel story today, and we pray that we might be willing participants in carrying people in your name, with your power, with your compassion, with your authority. Call us again, O Jesus.
<clears throat> to be good news people. And then, Jesus, I pray for anybody here for whom they need to be carried, but they can't find their way to that community. I pray that you would bring people into their life to come alongside them through spiritual friendships, through small groups, through conversations even on Sunday, divine appointments during the week, mentoring, coaching. Lord, we pray that you would use all the means of your kingdom to come alongside those who feel alone and isolated. I pray a blessing on Erickson Covenant Church, Jesus. Thank you for these people. Thank you for them. Bless their work. Empower them with love and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Great to be with you this morning. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.